Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. You can stream our show online at www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll also find our podcast. To keep up to date with the latest ocean news, follow our Facebook page at Out of the Blue Radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past and present and future generations. I'm James Whitmore and it's Sunday the 18th of July. Did you know, statistically speaking, this is the coldest week of the year in Melbourne? I saw on Twitter a meteorologist talking about it. It has certainly felt chilly. It's that time of year when we might start thinking about a holiday somewhere warmer. So in this episode, we're heading north to Queensland to hear about a campaign to protect important wetlands and the latest on coral monitoring on the Great Barrier Reef. But first, here's an announcement. Everybody Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. First, we're heading to the coast near Brisbane to Toonda Harbour, where a large housing development threatens important wetlands. To find out more and about the special birds that live there, I spoke to Andrew Hunter from BirdLife Australia. All right, Andrew, could you tell us about Toonda Harbour and why it's so special? Yeah, sure. So Tunda Harbor, it's um, a network of sites within the Morton Bay um, area just southeast of Brisbane. Um, and it's internationally recognized for its significance for biodiversity through a few different mechanisms. So it's one, um, it's recognized as a key biodiversity area. Um, and that's because of its importance to migratory shorebirds, including the eastern curlew. Uh, and it's also internationally recognized through um, a international treaty called the Convention on um, uh, the Ramsar Convention, which is uh, a convention to uh, identify and protect the world's most important um, wetlands. Uh, so there's about, I think, a little over 2,300 uh, Ramsar listed wetlands across the world, including, I think, 66 within Australia. Um, and Australia is one of the signatories to this um, global treaty. Um, so it includes um, over 130 nation states that have signed up saying that they will do everything in their power, um, both legally and in practice, to protect these important sites. Uh, Morton Bay uh, as a whole has been recognized as the, the single most important site for the uh, eastern curlew, which is um, this is an amazing uh, migratory shorebird um, that spends its, its winters here in Australia um, before it migrates um, over 10,000 kilometers to uh, Siberia and China where it um, breeds and raises its young. 
Um, so Moreton Bay is the most important site in all of Australia for this species that unfortunately over the last um, 30 years has really seen significant declines in its population, um, where it's seen over 80% of its population um, decline over those uh, last 30 years, which has led it to being listed as critically endangered um, at the federal level uh, under Australia's key national environmental protection uh, legislation, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, 1999. Yeah, absolutely. It's clearly a special place that needs protecting. So can you tell us about this development proposal at the harbour? Yeah, sure. So um, this proposal has been um, really going on since about 2015, um, and that was based on the, the previous Queensland government, the Campbell-Newman government declared Toonda Harbour, the area around Toonda Harbour, as a priority development area, which essentially uh, removed a lot of the um, uh, mechanisms for assessment and review for any kind of development proposal, uh, including uh, some environmental assessments. Um, and basically once that uh, priority development area was declared, it went out to a tender where you know, different corporations and companies could put in a bid for what they thought they could do um, to, to develop this area. Um, and that led to Walker Corporation, which is uh, one of the richest and, and biggest uh, private um, real estate development companies in Australia. Uh, they won that tender, um, although we're not really sure about the process as there's been um, uh, some uh, gag clauses and confidentiality agreements about the actual agreement between uh, the corporation and the local government and state government. Um, so we're not really sure um, what those contracts say, but basically um, a Walker Corporation, um, their proposal is to build 3,600-unit uh, apartment and um, commercial precinct uh, right on top of Tunda Harbor. Uh, so this would be um, not on current land. They, they propose to... Um, dredge up um, the important feeding habitat for the eastern curlew and um, wetlands there at uh, Toonda Harbor. So dredge up that um, the mudflats and the wetland there um, to build this massive apartment complex uh, right out on the water. Mm. Um, and as far as we are aware, this this level of private development has never occurred within uh, the boundaries of a Ramsar listed wetland. Definitely not in Australia, and as far as we're aware, uh, nowhere in, in the world. So that it really sets a, a very dangerous precedent if this is allowed to go ahead, that basically um, our most important wetlands are free and open for private development. And you just mentioned that um, like a project like this obviously goes through a number of a process of environmental approvals. Where is this project at now? So currently, it's um, it's being reviewed under the, um, uh, like I said earlier, the, the National Nature Laws of the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, the EPBC Act. Uh, so anytime a proposal, um, whether that's a real estate proposal, um, extractive industry, uh, could potentially have an impact on what's called a, a matter of national environmental significance. So that includes Ramsar listed wetlands. That includes. Uh, listed threatened species like the critically endangered eastern curlew, uh, world heritage sites. There's a few different, um, I guess, criteria that can trigger the EPBC Act. And if a, propo a proposal 
could potentially impact one of those um, different um, uh, what are called matters of national environmental significance, then the proponent has to uh, put in a referral to the federal government, basically giving them a full um, list of what they see the impacts could be, uh, and then the Minister for the Environment would um, you know, make a, a decision on whether that um, referral would need to go through further assessment through an environmental impact statement in some instances, and that's where Tunda Harbor is at right now. So. In 2017, I believe, the then Minister for the Environment, Josh Frydenberg, um, declared that Tunda Harbor's proposal was a controlled action and it would need an environmental impact statement. Um, and that actually went against the advice of the Department of Environment, who advised the minister that it should be rejected full stop at that stage. Uh, but unfortunately, he, he made the opposite decision and decided that this proposal needs to, to go through a full environmental impact statement. Uh, and, and for the past three years, Walker Corporation have been developing the impact statement. Um, so basically that will be tens of thousands of pages of documents um, uh, from the proponents, the Walker Corporation, saying how they um, they think the proposal will impact the environment, including those Ramsar-listed wetlands, um, critically endangered species and how they plan to mitigate or offset those impacts. Mm. So we expect that um, what's called an EIS, the Environmental Impact Statement, to be released for public comment uh, within the, the next weeks to months. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's imminent. Yeah. So what would you like to see happen? Uh, clearly, um, there was a, a moment back in time when uh, people were advising that the project shouldn't go ahead at, at all, and now it's going to be assessed. So what would, what would the campaign like to see happen now? Yeah, sure. So from, from BirdLife Australia's perspective, um, it's full stop, no development or building within Ramsar listed wetlands. Um, those are, like I said, internationally important. We've signed a convention saying that we'll do everything in our power to protect these wetlands. Um, so we think that it's completely inappropriate to, to have a private development of this scale within Ramsar listed wetlands. So that's our red line. That's our line in the mud is no development, no, no matter how big within these Ramsar listed wetlands. So if the Walker Corporation comes back and has a completely different proposal after the CIS and it's land-based and we have a look at the uh, their plans and we, we don't think there'll be any impacts on uh, threatened species, including the birds, then yeah, we would be okay with that. But um, the current proposal is completely um, uh, off limits as far as we're concerned. Yeah, it's interesting because like uh, proposals aren't often knocked back by the federal government, but recently a project was knocked back um, because of, a gas project in WA was knocked back because of its impact on Ramsar-listed um, wetlands, wasn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think previously um, we we had done uh, a bit of an analysis, and I think it was like 99% of uh, proposals that get to the stage where they, they go through an environmental impact statement, they ultimately get approved. Um, sometimes that's with conditions, sometimes that's just full outright approval. But as you said, uh, there was that recent um, referral that was rejected by the current Minister for the Environment, Susan Lee, um, just a few months ago. And, and really, um, that's two in the last two years that this current minister has, has rejected based on impacts to um, Ramsar list wetlands and migratory shorebirds. So the one you were referencing was um, impacts to 
shorebirds and the 80 mile beach ramsar listed wetland which is in north of, uh, northwestern australia and then another decision that minister lee um rejected was the turtle cove retirement village which was in the great sandy strait which is just north of uh, morton bay uh, in queensland and again that that rejection was due to impacts on ramsar listed wetlands and shorebirds so the, the precedent's been set by this minister that um she will reject a, a proposal so we're just hoping that and hoping and advocating that she'll make the similar decision for for Toon harbor how does the local community feel about the development yeah, so the the local community, we, we work with um, a great local community action group called um, Redlands 2030, and they do a lot of great advocacy, and, and they've um, done some, <coughs> excuse me, uh, some local surveys um, just out of shops and at uh, community events, and their surveys have found that 80% of the, uh, the community that they talk to uh, oppose the, um, the current proposal by Walker Corporation um, at the level that is currently being proposed. When the, the priority development area was announced, as I said, um, a few years ago, the original plan was to, to build a few hundred unit apartment complex and really to redevelop the ferry terminal area around Tunda Harbor, which is the gateway to, to north of Stradbrook Island. And it, it appears that the community really backed that really kind of low-key, low-impact development. But since, um, since that original priority development area was announced, it's really ballooned into this massive, you know, thousands, 3,600-unit um, apartment complex, which is completely um, over the top from what was originally proposed. Mm. Last question, how can people get involved with the campaign? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So for BirdLife Australia, if you just go to uh, Act for Birds, A-C-T-F-O-R-B-I-R-D-S.org, um, if you go to there, that's our BirdLife Australia campaign page, and you'll see uh, a, a button right there for Tune to Harbour. If you click that, we have a sign-up page, so you'll get all of the most important um, announcements, any news, and especially uh, when the environmental impact statement is released for public com comment, we'll be really uh, asking um, anyone who, who is concerned about this proposal to, to put in a submission to that that public comment period because we really think that we need to demonstrate both the local opposition to the, the proposal but also the, the nationwide uh, opposition because really what happens at Tunda could happen anywhere if it's allowed to go ahead. That was Andrew Hunter from BirdLife Australia. You can find out more about the Save Tunda campaign and how to support it at actforbirds.org forward slash save Tunda. In that interview, I mentioned a project that uh, the Environment Minister has recently knocked back. I said it was a gas development in Western Australia. It's actually a renewable energy project. After the break, we're going to be hearing the latest from the Great Barrier Reef. But first, we're going to hear a song. This is Nairi with Closer. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. In the
That was Nairi with Closer, and you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. We know that the Great Barrier Reef is in trouble. The United Nations has recently warned Australia that the reef's world heritage status is in danger. But what's happening to the individual coral species that make up the reef? Dr Zoe Richards is a researcher at Curtin University who has just made some alarming findings at Lizard Island on the Great Barrier Reef. So Zoe, you're a coral taxonomist. Can you tell us what you do? Yeah, so I'm a coral taxonomist and that means that I identify corals. So corals are the reef building animals that many of us that dive on reefs understand that they're the corals that are building the reef and all the other animals, the fishes and the crabs, they live amongst the coral and provide shelter for them. But there's a whole variety of different types of coral out there. So that's what I do. I collect the different corals, look at their morphology and also their genetics to determine which species is which and how they relate to each other. One of your recent studies has been around Lizard Island on the Great Barrier Reef. Can you tell us about what makes Lizard Island special? So Lizard Island is in the northern Great Barrier Reef. It's north of Cairns. It's quite near the outer Great Barrier Reef. It's actually a narrow section of the shelf off Queensland. So Lizard Island is particularly special these days to marine scientists such as myself because there's a research station there that is run by the Australian Museum. So it's like a mecca for all different scientists from all around the world. And they've come there for years and years and... Um, developed all sorts of research programs there and it's a model system for understanding coral reefs and how they function and their biodiversity so it's a pretty special place of course there's a whole um, indigenous history to Lizard Island as well so it's not just us you know people enjoying it recently there's a long long history. And what have you recently found there? Yeah, so Lizard Island is a beautiful coral reef. When I first went there in 2011, it was incredibly diverse. Lots and lots of different corals at different places all around the island. So since 2011, I've gone back four times. And over this past decade, there's been two big cyclones that have hit Lizard Island and also one really large coral bleaching event and two smaller bleaching events. And over the years, I've revisited the same sites and surveyed what corals live there and I found just really dramatic declines in the biodiversity of corals across this 10-year time frame. So right now there's 28 species that I haven't seen since 2011 and there's another 31 species that I haven't seen since 2015. So this is really quite dramatic loss on a local scale Mm. for species they just hopefully they're still out there at other sites that i'm not surveying but at my survey sites where i have seen them previously they're gone and when uh, you say uh what is it 30 species like that have no longer you've no longer seen since 2015 how does that compare to the what you were seeing back in 2011 how many corals live at this site on lizard island Okay, so across the whole island 
island together and the reefs that are surrounding it. Over the last 44 years of surveys by all different scientists, a whole total of 368 species have been recorded wow. all together. So that's not only Lizard Island, but the surrounding reefs. So that's the sort of magnitude of loss. We're looking at about 16% of that local species pool that's potentially been lost within the last decade. So that's quite a dramatic decline. That's really interesting because, I mean, I'm fascinated by corals. I think they're really beautiful. But it just didn't occur to me that there were so many species. <laughs> yeah, they're really diverse. Like, they've they've done what's called, you know, rapid adaptation and rapid speciation. As sea levels have risen and fallen, they've been trapped in deep water locations where they've, you know, reproduced and speciated. And so they're really young the species that we're talking about these days is like their lineage is ancient it's 50 million years old but a lot of the species we see on the reef these days they've only evolved over the last couple of million years and in terms of an animal that's uh, relatively recently evolved so there's been rapid speciation amongst the corals lately mm. So obviously it's quite bad news for the corals themselves to disappear, but what does it mean for the reef ecosystem to lose, you know, 16% of the coral species that are at this particular reef site? Yeah, this is what we're just trying to, you know, get a handle on actually because there's so many different species, it's hard to know exactly the function of every single one of them. Like mm. they all contribute to reef building, so that's understandable that there's losses in that area. But what we're finding out more and more when we do collaborative research between different specialists is that there's certain types of crabs that specialise on only one single species of coral. There's certain fish that only feed on one single species of coral. So until we really get to intimately know you know every one of these species and all the interactions and associations it's really difficult to say what sort of cascading impact the loss of any one particular species will have so yeah it, it's such an inter interconnected ecosystem a coral reef it's just so dynamic and complex that it's really difficult to answer that question mm. How does what you're finding on Lizard Island play into the bigger picture of happening of what's happening on the Great Barrier Reef? Yeah, so the Great Barrier Reef, we hear a lot about a loss of coral cover, and that means just basically habitat loss across the wider Great Barrier Reef, and that's being documented by all sorts of agencies and different parts of the reef. So we know that overall habitat is declining on the wider reef. What we didn't know up until this point is what is happening to the species of coral within those communities. So we see at Lizard Island in this one little snapshot that there is a real decline in species that is accompanying the habitat losses as well. So something that, you know, is prevalent in the literature is that extinction tracks habitat decline. So my concern is that the Lizard Island study is giving us a little bit of an insight into what may be happening across the wider Great Barrier Reef in terms of species losses. It's just that we're not monitoring species diversity across the wider Great Barrier Reef. We're really just monitoring 
that habitat conditions such as coral cover. So it's hard to say whether what we've found at Lizard Island can expand out and be scaled out across the wider Great Barrier Reef. If it could, that's a really quite a problem we have on our hands. Yeah, very alarming. So when you're looking at, uh, when you dive at this reef in 2011 and you visit it recently, is it visibly different? Yes, it absolutely is. It really is. When the corals die, they over, get overgrown by, first of all, like a filamentous algae, and then usually coralline algae will come. So the reef kind of goes back to bare substrate. Mm. So in the in the, the years that come after like a large cyclone that sort of just sweeps the reef clean and wipes all the corals off or a bleaching event when the corals die. So they remain in place, but they die back and then they'll get overgrown. So, yeah, it really changes from a complex environment with dimensionality and verticality and complexity on the reef to a simple system that loses that habitat basically it just goes back to something very simple and more one-dimensional so that's where it's a problem for all those associated animals and fishes that they live in and amongst all that habitat complexity mm. Now, the United Nations has recently warned Australia once again um, that it's considering listing the Great Barrier Reef, which is a World Heritage Area, as in danger. What do you make of that, and uh, do you think that's a, a reasonable call for them to make? Look, you know, based on the evidence that all the various agencies that are in charge of compiling, such as the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority, they've done their outlook report, which, you know, compiles all available evidence for the Great Barrier Reef in a very comprehensive way. You know, they've decided that the Great Barrier Reef is in a very poor condition. So I think it's pretty safe to say that the UN's declaration that you know the gbl might be in danger it's pretty fair assessment from my perspective you know in danger there's still an element of hope because you know we can turn things around but there are problems there and we need to acknowledge these problems and in any chance of fixing them, you know, it's important to front up to them in the first place. And we have a responsibility to the rest of the world as, you know, the caretakers of this incredible reef system, you know, it was created a World Heritage Area largely because of its biodiversity, because it's so internationally significant. So it's our responsibility to maintain this system for us and for the rest of the world and generations to come. So, you know, I, I think it's very important to be really real about what's happening with the reef and all the evidence points to uh, declines and concerns. So, yeah, I'm supportive. That was Dr Zoe Richards from Curtin University talking about monitoring corals on the Great Barrier Reef. And that's all we've got time for you this week. You've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. To listen to this episode again or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue where you'll find our podcast and follow our Facebook page, Out of the Blue Radio, for updates. We'll see you next week.